We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. My name is Alex Gold, and I'm joined by my host who has a new nickname based off what he said everybody should call him on Twitter, and that is Biased. I do not care. Fachi, how's it going? Yep, Alex hitting me with an old man joke. I said, call me Biased. I don't care. He said, hello, Biased. I don't care. You know, it was... um, it was interesting, but that is I, and man, we love you guys so much that we're giving you a ye old twofer, a two-for-one special for our player goals segment. Alex, tell them about the two players that we're talking about today. Well, we're going to talk about a new addition to this Indiana Pacers team, where we're going to talk about a guy that came over last year from the Boston Celtics. That's right, Aaron Neesmith is the first guy we're going to be discussing. And then we're going to talk about somebody that's going to probably play a lot of the same role that he played last year a little bit. That's Bruce Brown. Probably not the same role because Aaron was more of the four, but I think that that number one defensive-minded guy on the starting lineup, that could be Bruce Brown's role this year. But we'll see. I felt like these two players were kind of similar a little bit, Fachi, in terms of not skill set, but just the overall impact they could have on the team this year. And we know that Neesmith is in the final year of his rookie contract. We also know Bruce Brown is on a team option. So both of these guys are playing for something to kind of prove themselves a little bit. And I thought this would be a great duo to discuss for our season goals. So let's start things off with Aaron Neesmith. Give me the first goal that you have for our guy here. All right. For my first goal, can you shoot 38 to 40% from three. All right. Look, when you think of Aaron Neesmith, you're thinking three and deep. Now, we've always heard that. We saw both sides last year, but that three point ball was very streaky at times, looked a little bit rough in specific the start of the season, as well as without Tyrese Halliburton. But when Tyrese Halliburton was out there, it looked like obviously you're getting much better looks. 
And he did, however, shoot over 38% on corner threes. But I do think shooting 38 to 40% overall from three is possible because his volume is likely going to come down a tad. Now, this is a guy who shot 36.6% from three. So, you know, closer to 37% than it is 36. So I do think it is possible for him to, to you know, have that tick up to 38% or so. Alex, do you think that is a reasonable goal for Aaron Neesmith? 38 to 40%. It's going to be interesting because one of the reasons I, I kind of piggybacked off this a little bit with my goal for my first one, I basically just said, I wonder if he can continue to average that 35 to 37% range. Because okay. if you look at his first year with the Celtics, he shot 37% on 2.3 attempts. The next year dropped all the way down to 27%. And he just became an unreliable shooter for that team. And I think that's kind of what played him out of the rotation. Early on when he was at the Pacers off the bench, it was not looking good. Me and you were both a little bit worried about him in the middle of November. We were like, okay, we're on that West Coast road trip. And he kind of started clicking, I think, in that in that road trip, doing a little bit better off the bench. But when he became a starter, it felt like he was a little bit more solidified with who he was as a player. And you saw his, you know, minutes go up. You saw his attempts go up from the from the field. Where you know, in Boston, he was averaging three point five, three point nine attempts, and now he's averaging eight. So I felt like he just got more comfortable in that role. But I'm just saying, I hope he continues to shoot efficiently in a lesser role and likely without Halliburton for the majority of the time that he plays because we're all kind of under the assumption that he's going to be coming off the bench, and it's going to be hard for him to get a ton of minutes, maybe not anywhere near 25 minutes. I mean, we'll see. I think he's going to earn those minutes probably too because he's just tough as nails. But I feel like the efficiency, is it going to stay the same with playing with different players? The chemistry might not be there. Even though Andrew Nimhart, TJ McConnell are great at finding the open guy, they're not Tyrese Halliburton with being able to create those open shots for you. So I'm curious to see who he plays with, but I'm just hoping that he can keep up an efficient amount of, of a three-point percentage knowing that his role is going to be different. And that that is the thing is like, yeah, not playing with Tyrese can have a big effect on you. Um, just going through some numbers through October and November, he shot about 34% from three. So, hmm, all right, you know, not great. Um, not awful, but definitely nothing to brag about. Then in the, in the month of December, he shoots just a hair under 40% from three. Love it. Oh, my God. Hey, Neesmith is making a big impact. Pacers are winning games. Uh, then all of a sudden, January, that's when Halliburton gets hurt. And, you know, he shoots 26.5% from three. So the big difference. Follows it up 39% from three. Next month, 38% ends the season. I mean, ends with the final month of April, just a couple of games, 57%. So some months was scorching. Some months looked elite. Other months were were a bit tough to watch. So I think if he could be more consistent, even with less volume, it would be really big for him to be able to carve out a designated role, which right now we're still wondering, hmm, like, you know what? What exactly is that role? How many minutes is it going to be? But I do think that these numbers are possible but no one could say it's a guarantee based on the inconsistencies that we've seen through his first three years like you mentioned yeah and i think like what you said there with the month of january going down quite a bit what would you say that percentage was once again 26 and a half percent okay so that was an adjustment period without tyrese halliburton which is kind of what happened at the beginning of october was his adjustment period to like figuring out how the pace you want to play yep but then february march april he shot a good percentage and mm-hmm. i think that 
what's nice is that the Pacers got a chance to see how he played with Andrew Nimhart. And if you go look at their numbers last year, Aaron Neesmith played the most minutes with Andrew Nimhart out of any other player on the team. So they've got chemistry. They've got what it takes, I think, to be defensive stalwarts with that second unit. And and I think that they're just going to continue to grow with that chemistry. So uh, that was my first goal, too, is just hoping that he can shoot at a similar rate in that 35, 37 range. I mean, hey, even better if you want 38, 40. But I just want to be a, about about 35% or higher. And if he can shoot at a average rate or maybe even a little bit above average, that's only going to make the case for him to get more minutes. And I think we have enough shooting on this team already that he might end up losing minutes because his shot isn't as, effect, uh, as effective if he's not shooting efficiently. So it's going to be up to him to knock down those three-point shots at a high rate. No, that it really is. I know you said 35 to 37. I just feel like I'm willing to settle on, like, could could you be 37 to 39? <laughs> I think he's got to be a little bit better of a three-point shooter with the amount of offensive talent that we have because, there are, like you mentioned, there are guys on this team that can shoot. But if yeah. Neesmith's just flat out cold, it's going to be tough to be able to find him the amount of minutes that he deserves. Yeah, no, I understand that. So are you ready for your next goal or do you want me to go? Uh, You go. Okay. So I said last year we saw flashes of Neesmith taking guys off the dribble, but I like to see him do it even more if the opportunities present themselves because he's got a quick first step and he has great athleticism to finish through contact. So it'd be great to see him become more of a foul magnet, especially if we think Matherin's going to be with that starting unit. You're going to lose that a little bit with that second unit because I thought Matherin's ability to get to the free throw line was huge. And that second unit really needed that offense from him. So now your second unit is probably going to have Buddy Hield in it more than likely with Nimhard, with uh, Neesmith, with Jairus Walker, and then one of the bigs. I mean, that's kind of the projection that we're giving out here for our second unit if we're looking at things from a – uh, that kind of perspective. And I think that you're going to need someone that's going to be able to do that because Jairus Walker is not someone that's just going to bully his way through his rookie season. I don't see that from him. And he's not a guy that looks great putting the ball on the floor all the time. You're going to need someone that's able to do that. And I think if he can shoot the ball well from three, like you're talking about, it's going to open up more opportunities to have a pump and drive like he did against the Cavaliers when he dunked all over Jared Allen. And I think we could see more Highlight reels like that from Neesmith as he grows more comfortable with his off-the-dribble game. I mean, I think that would be awesome. I would love to see more of that because a, a lot of Neesmiths that felt like his baskets were assisted. And I feel yeah. like it would be great to see him take that step because I, I do think that, hey, when you're going into that contract year, you got to show more than just being labeled as, oh, I'm just strictly a 3 and D guy, or I'm going to stand over here and wait for the ball. No, I do think he has an opportunity to add to his game. And just like you mentioned, I mean, look, we would love to see a little bit more of that that dunk on Jared Allen. I mean, I remember <laughs> when he came on our show, you had that in the background. You know, he he knew. He knew. He was, he smiling. was, he was smiling. He knew that was one of his finer moments. And I would like to say that we have many more of those moments to come. So yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, let, that's let me add one more thing on that real quick. I just I just feel like, too, I'm not saying, oh, I want him to be this off-the-dribble kind of like looking for a shot guy all the time because I don't think that's his game. No. But I think, like I said, I want to emphasize when the opportunities present themselves. Exactly. It's not a guy that I want to see forcing, trying to be this ISO score. That's not his game. But if they're like, okay, let's kick the ball pump fake okay the guy bites now you're gonna drive 
get to the basket, get a free throw, or finish their contact. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see him just being like, ah, forget the three-point shot. Watch me hit a step back, crossover, yeah. mid-range no. jumper. Like, no, that's not Aaron Eastman. So I wanted to make sure I clarified that. Yeah, absolutely. When the opportunity presents itself is the best way to sum it up. We don't need, you know, Neesmith ISO ball, nothing like that. But look, uh, for my next goal, it's bring the intensity and hustle defensively on a nightly basis. Because when it comes to a Pacers team that is lacking, you know, defensive studs or guys that are at least going to give you everything they got, Neesmith is someone that we're turning to and counting on. I think he could be a big part of you know, fixing the, the problems defensively. Last year, he was asked to defend fours a lot. It does not sound like that's going to be, you know, maybe the case, or he's not really going to see anywhere near as much time at the four as he will, you know, at the two and three. But he was also second in fouls per game last year on this team at 3.2. So I just felt like it was really, really tough defensive matchups that should not have to be as hard this year. Um, but look, he played 24 minutes per game. I don't think that we're expecting that. Maybe it could be in that, you know, 15 to 20 minute range. So if that's what it's going to be, can you go hard for those 15 minutes and be like, wow, when Aaron Neesmith comes in, he's changing the way that this game is being played. This is a guy who finished third in the, what sounds crazy that this is an award, but the hustle award. I mean, I know they're coming out with new awards. Every year, look, rather than saying, can you win the Hustle Award because he's going to be playing likely less minutes, it's can you just bring that hustle and intensity for each minute that you were on the court? Yeah, I mean, we can't lose that defensive presence that he brought last year. It was huge to this team's success. And, you know, our defense was not great last year. I think a lot of our starters had minus net ratings because – our defense was just not great overall, but I don't feel like it was all on Aaron Neesmith. He was one of your better options. And I think it was on JJ Reddick's podcast. Someone was talking about how Neesmith just fouls all the time and officials have adjusted the way that they officiate him. So basically like you really have to like, he really has to foul them to get called for it. But we did, we did notice that there were some times he got in some early foul trouble. Yes. Just being a little bit too aggressive. So while I want to see the tenacity, I, I think that you feel better that he can do it because he can be more aggressive because there's more players to play at that position that he's going to be at now. So you don't feel like, man, we really need him. If not, we're kind of stuck here trying to figure out who our backup four is going to be at some point. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And I even put down, I want to see him get better on defense for my last goal here, Fachi. But the one thing I said is he averaged just under a steal per game last year with 0.8 steals per game. I would love to see him finish the season with 75 to 80 steals for the year get him right at the the one steal mark. I, I think that that's capable. He jumped from 20 steals the previous year with Boston to 55 this last year, and he started 60 of the 73 games that he played. So I'm not sure how the Pacers plan on making their defense better, but I do feel like Jim Boylan is going to be a huge help with the defense this year because I know that he was a very good defensive coach throughout his assistant coach history, even when he coached in college, and even with the Bulls. like They were not... Mm-hmm a bad defensive team. I feel no. like Jim Boylan has just got a lot of disciplines on that end. So I want to see Neesmith get that 75 to 80 overall uh, steals for the year, just because I'd love to see him with that 1.0 next to his name for his averages for how many steals he had in the season. Hey, it would be nice. So I think that that's something that he can do. Um, and I think it's a totally reasonable goal. No one's asking for him to double 
you know, what he was already doubling, you know, for the previous year in steals. But I think it's a rounding it out and, you know, making that maybe kind of be a little bit of the calling card of, hey, look, he's getting a steal per game. Reminds me of the old days when it's just completely different. But Victor Oladipo used to average three steals per game. I mean, the expectations were so high. I remember just being like, oh, like Vic's got to get these three steals. That's what he averages. And it, I think one steal, one steal, I think we can count on that from Neesmith. Um, and then my last point, my last goal, I got to say, continue to improve as a rebounder. Look, Aaron Neesmith played above his size last year. Great. He averaged 3.8 rebounds per game. I think at times he was getting outworked on the glass, out-rebounded because he's guarding bigger players. His 3.8 rebounds per game, uh, look, while it's not atrocious by any means, it was seventh on the Pacers. Seventh. It was 0.1 rebounds more than Tyrese Halliburton. Now, Halliburton playing more minutes, I get it. That's worth something. But, like, you can't have Halliburton pulling down basically about the same amount of rebounds as the guy that was playing power forward. So, Mm -hmm. You know, with less minutes, I don't think it's going to show. I don't think in less minutes he's going to average more rebounds. But when you're on the court, can you be a presence rebounding-wise? Can you be constantly contesting and battling for rebounds? That would be awesome. Because lastly, we can't have a guy like Michael Scott coming on here and targeting Aaron Neesmith <laughs> as a weak rebounder. <laughs> I mean, that one still doesn't sit well with me. Oh, yeah, so that was I think it. At that at that point, it's like, all right, Neil Smith, you might need to pull down an extra rebound or so, get these guys off your back. Yeah, I will say this: in his two years of Boston, he had 216 total rebounds. In his one year with the Pacers, he had 277. So, obviously, it did matter. Be it did help a little bit, but he did play quite a few more minutes because yes. in the two years in Boston, he played just 1,243 minutes. But he played 1,816 minutes last year with the Pacers. So Big difference. got a huge jump in opportunity there. And the rebounds were better, but they were not that significant. I think he maybe averaged one more rebound per game with the Pacers with the bigger role than he did with the with the Celtics in his first year. So, yeah, 3.8 hit last year for the Pacers and 2.8 his rookie year. So sophomore year, he didn't play a lot because he just, he just really struggled. Yeah. And I think kind of fell out of... Uh, Ime Udoka's system, but I, I think overall that's a good point to kind of end on here. Be a better defender. I, I want to see if maybe playing more the natural three position that he is, if that does help improve that instead of trying to battle against guys that are a lot bigger than him. Now, that's a tough, tough task to say, hey, at you know, listed at six foot five, you know, so they, they could change depends where it is, could be six foot six, but regardless, he's undersized at the four. So to be asking him to be winning those rebounding battles is a bit much, but playing against more of, you know, players that are the same size as you, I do think that should be favorable for him. And I think that we'll see a better Aaron Neesmith on the glass this year than we did last year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, speaking of a better Aaron Neesmith, let's move over to our next guy, Bruce Brown. And this is no knock on Aaron Neesmith, but I just think Bruce Brown <laughs> yeah, is I mean, a better player. <laughs> so yeah, There's one way to lead into it, but uh, no. <laughs> I mean, look, yes, Bruce Brown, he's paid more. He, he, he could say that he's probably more talented and uh, has higher expectations. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I was just I was just having fun playing on with those words that he said there. Um, but yeah, Bruce Brown, this is an interesting guy because paid like a starter. Yes. Said he'd be willing to come off the bench. There was no commitment from Chad Buchanan on whether he'd start or not. Said it was open for training camp battle. I love that. I think that that's going to only make things better. Very smart basketball player. Huge part of what the Nuggets did to win a championship. But Fachi, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first for this season goal? Uh, you take the first one. Okay, so let's go back to the Nuggets because that's what we're looking off based on last year. I was kind of surprised because I wanted to see the offensive rating, the defensive rating, and the net rating for Bruce Brown. I thought, oh, he's going to have a great net rating just knowing how awesome that Nuggets team was. And I was a little bit disappointed when I saw 0.8 for his overall net rating. And if you looked at the Nuggets starters, the starting five of Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and who's the... Did I say uh, the shooter? Michael Porter Jr. Jr. Like they were like plus seven, plus eight for their net rating. Wow, that's a a big difference right there. All the bench guys were either negative or like right above one. And that's where Bruce Brown was at. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm not going to ask him to have crazy numbers here because to be honest, the Pacer starters, they had negative net ratings (laughs) because they weren't good. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to ask too much, but I would love to see him be in the positive net rating for the Pacers at like a plus two plus three. It's an improvement from last year. Um, I think that he's going to have a bigger role this year, but it also tells me that the Pacers are going to be a better team if that's the case. So if the starting five can connect and really find a a groove here, that would be great to see because I was like, man, I I didn't look at other teams net ratings, but just seeing like Jokic in that group, his, the starting five of the Nuggets, be like a plus eight for their net rating and then see Bruce Brown like plus zero point. I'm like, man, he was, you know, probably getting those minutes up when he was with those teams that are those rotation 
where he was with the with the starters compared to when he was with the bench units because those bench units were just uh, not as strong. Like you can just tell there's a major talent drop off there. So with this Pacers team, I want to see him be a positive plus two, plus three net rating guy by the end of the year because I think if he's that positive, we're going to see other Pacers positive too. But I think his impact could be huge on both sides of the floor. I definitely do, and that, that's, a, that's an interesting stat, and I guess that's what happens. Hey, if you're playing alongside the MVP, you're probably going to have a pretty good rating. So, obviously, Bruce coming off the bench, yeah, that, that could definitely be influenced. But, yeah, you mentioned the Pacers' ratings were <laughs> pretty much all in the negatives. I don't know who was a positive last Gabe year on the team. That, George Hill? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that George Hill-Knicks game. I mean, that'll, that'll inflate <laughs> you. A bit, but great point. And I think that Bruce Brown can very well be, if he's a positive for the Pacers, that's going to be a lot. That's going to say a lot because mm-hmm. this team, that'll show that we're trending in the right direction. Um, For my next goal, my first goal, can you be our defensive player of the year? Mm, okay, Is that a I lot like to ask? It could be, but on a team not known for defense, could Brucey be be? The defensive, you know, impact guy that we dreamed about and more. I think we can only hope so. But at minimum, could you be a top two defender for us with Miles Turner? Yes, I definitely think you can. I think he can make a big impact on the perimeter. We don't need him to land on an all defensive team, but can you be the change of culture that we need desperately defensively? And I think that Bruce Brown can be that. I know the NBA has a lot of awards. Now, they're not going to give out a team defensive player of the year, but I, I definitely do think that he could be ours. And he might win the hustle player of the year. He, he could be better Aaron Neesmith, right? No, I'm just yeah, kidding. We got, a, we got a hot hot race over there between those two for that <laughs> award. Well, I, I will say this. If he is a starter, right, that likely means Andrew Nimhard goes to the bench and has a different role. And we saw last year that Andrew Nimhard's role was to guard the best perimeter player on the opposing team. And that's what Bruce Brown's going to be tasked to do because Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin are, if they're starters, they're not going to be the guys drawing the Jimmy Butler assignment. That's going to be Bruce Brown. And so you're going to need him to be that defensive type of player of the year for us because of the role he's going to be asked to play. So I, I understand that point entirely. And I hope he's up for the challenge. I think you're probably getting a little bit more overall skilled offensive player than you were getting an Aaron Neesmith out there. So, you know, if you if you bring in a guy like Obi Toppin or Jairus Walker to finish out that starting five, and you've got Bruce Brown out there, it is going to make things a little bit easier positionally. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how he does there. But moving on to my second one here, Fachi, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but last year Bruce Brown connected on 49 of his 91 right corner three attempts, which is good for 53.8 percent. But from the left corner, just 15 of his 74 for 20.3. So I thought I'd love to see the left side improve, but I also want to see him maintain that high efficiency on the right side. And here's a main reason why Benedict Matherin was incredible on the left wing last year. One thing that Chad Buchanan said that he wanted to see from Matherin was to be more of a facilitator. Well, what's going to make it be easier to trust your teammates is when you drive to the basket. If you've got a guy that's knocking down 53% of his threes in the corner, right there waiting to shoot the ball, I think Matherin will feel better about, oh, I can dish it out here and and get it to my guy. So I think that him just being that floor spacer for a driver like Matherin, that's not like a hard goal to achieve, but I just want to see him kind of not try to overstep his boundaries 
in terms of who he is as a player and just continue to do the things that got him paid and, and help the Pacers add that to, to their offensive flow. Because I think if he shoots that high of a clip from the right corner three, that's going to be huge for this team. Because if you look at Chris Duarte's number, Chris Duarte was the opposite. He was a left corner three kind of guy. So I think Matherin being able to operate on the left wing and then dish to the right is going to be huge for those two playing together. Yeah, I love the way the Pacers are assembling You know, this team between that strength that you mentioned that Matherin has and the strength that Bruce Brown has from the exact opposite side. I, I think it's huge. It kind of goes into a little bit of what my goal is. So I think that's a perfect talking point of like, I'm in agreement. The three-point shooting, it's going to be big. So my goal was... Can he be a consistent, say, 37% three-point shooter? And I'll tell you why. Now, look, there's an assumption that Bruce Brown is a real good three-point shooter, but is he? <laughs> through through his first four seasons, he never even really attempted more than 1.73s per game. That was the most, which is not a high volume at all. And he had never shot above 34.4% before he shot 40% from three with Brooklyn, on just 1.3 attempts. So not a lot of attempts, but last year he he upped that drastically. He shot 160 more threes last year than, than any previous year, um, and it was on 3.2 attempts per game. Mm-hmm. So shot about 36% from three, which is, you know, considered, all right, hey, it's very solid. But just like you mentioned, 49% from the right-hand side which is unbelievable. So I very much do think that Bruce Brown can be a 37% three-point shooter on enough volume with the great looks that he's going to get from Halliburton. Obviously, I know he's already getting great looks from Jokic, but how many teams can you go to where there's not going to be a drop-off in looks that you're going to get? Halliburton's going to get you the ball, and the Pacers already have other really good three-point shooters in Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. So I do think that he can maintain that percentage while still also maintaining the volume that we saw last year instead of years past because it's still up in the air of how good of a three-point shooter he is based on, you know, is he going to be attempting at least two threes per game? Yes, I think next year he can have an uptick maybe be between three to four threes per game, but still maintain that volume. Yeah, and I will say this. You talked about him not shooting a lot of three-pointers the prior years. Well, that's because he was playing the power forward position at times Just for crazy. Brooklyn, yeah. and it's kind of like he's only six foot four. So <laughs> that's kind of like why I made the joke about Aaron Neesmith, like a better version of him, because Neesmith was doing the same thing last year, playing out of position. And, and maybe we're getting a glimpse of what Neesmith could become because we saw Bruce Brown – play more of a natural position last year, and we saw him continue to have good numbers efficiently. So 35.8% from three last year, it's average. It's maybe a slight above average, but not much. Yeah. I think that there's going to be different looks for him with the way the Pacers play because they're a lot more up-tempo than Denver is. And being able to get out and run with Tyrese, like, hey, just go to that corner, spread the floor, Tyrese will find you, go to the right side, get open, whatever, like – I just feel like there's going to be more opportunities for him to thrive in that type of a system compared to where Jokic can, you know, be on the right side or be on the left side with his back turned and throw a pass behind his back over five defenders and hit you right in the hands for yep. a shot. Like it's just a totally different type of game. But this is what kind of throws me into my next one here because you talk I wanted to talk about how he did play some of that four with the Nets. 
I love the idea of running more pick and rolls and pick and pops, just him being the screener with actions with Tyrese Halliburton. I think that one thing we've seen from Bruce Brown, I think Scott Agnes, I don't know if you were on that episode with me or not when I interviewed Scott, but no, I don't think so. He talked about how if you get in the point guard situation, let's say they ended up trading McConnell at one point and they bring back George Hill. Well, is George Hill the best option as your third string point guard? Or would you rather just give the ball to someone like Bruce Brown and say, okay, go run third string point guard because he can do it. Mm-hmm. I think that he's good with the ball in his hands, able to be a facilitator, smart decision maker, just a good high cue ba- basketball player. Put him in that pick and pop, pick and roll situation with Tyrese. And it's going to open up opportunities for both guys. One of the great things we know about the NBA today, it's a very switch heavy defensive uh, schematic way to play in today's NBA. We know that the best defender is going to always be primarily on Tyrese Halliburton. So if you're able to create a switch by using Bruce Brown as the screener, now you're probably thinking with Matherin, Bruce Brown, and Tyrese Halliburton on the perimeter, who's drawing the worst defender of those three? Bruce Brown. So, yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So you're talking about, let's just say we're playing the Bulls on a random Tuesday night, right? You're talking about the Bulls. You're not getting Caruso. You're probably going to get one of Zach Levine or somebody else out there guarding Bruce Brown. Well, he uses that as a screen. Now Caruso switched on to Bruce Brown. Now Tyrese can operate against a lesser defender like an Io DeSunmu or someone like that for the Chicago Bulls and kind of cook where he's not getting as much defensive pressure from a guy like Caruso who's known for playing solid defense. So that to me is what I love about it. The wrinkle to be a good shooter if he does be uh, effective in trying to get open with the pick and roll, pick and pop type situation. So I just feel like there's a lot of ways they can utilize him as a screener. And I would love to see Carlisle do that. Even though the Pacers don't run a ton of screening options, I would like to see that as like a little wrinkle thrown into the mix a little bit more to see how Brucey B is, you know, used as a screener. Yeah. And that'd be awesome. I mean, to your playmaking capabilities that you mentioned, I mean, three and a half assists last year in the past, he's averaged four assists. I think that that's awesome. Gives the Patriots just, uh, you know, versatility to have extra playmakers out there with mm-hmm. Tyrese between, you know, your Nemhard, your, your Halliburton, your McConnell, your Bruce Brown. It just feels like there's passers on this team outside yeah. of just one guy. So yeah. that, that we've not been able to say in the past where we were asking a lot out of, Hey, Malcolm Brogdon's got to be the guy. He's got to move it around. It's, really just wasn't his game. I think the Pacers now have a lot of guys that could do that. Um, now, my last goal. It was so tough. So tough to come up with that you know I came up with two. Of so course you did. I'm gonna go with, I'll go with one, and then, like, you know, we'll go into it. If, um, you know, and then I could always say my other one. But, look, be a leader. And I think with this, I know we want Tyrese Halliburton to grow into a leader, and he will. It will come. But Bruce Brown is not only the highest paid player on this team, but he's also a champion. And yes, Jordan War did win a ring, but it just feels a little bit different. It feels like Bruce Brown contributed a bit more on that Denver championship run. So I feel like people are going to take what his word is and and really take it to heart and, and, and apply it. So whether he's a starter or coming off the bench, embrace whatever role that you're in and bring that winning mentality to a team that unfortunately does not have that yet this Pacers team has not won yet so I think that Bruce Brown we want to surround ourselves with winners and I think that he is 
you know, great addition to the culture over here. So we don't need him to all of a sudden be, you know, uh, the end-all, be-all leader of this team. But mm-hmm. this is a team that is in need of leaders as guys like Halliburton start to develop into their own. He's just 23 years old in Halliburton. So we got to give him time to lead naturally, not have it be forced. I think Bruce Brown can help with that. No, and I think that's a great point, Fonchi. I think that Bruce Brown having that championship experience with Denver is going to be huge for this Pacers team. And I, I'm pretty sure I brought it up a couple of different times in this podcast, but I love reiterating this because I always go back to when the Pacers with Reggie Miller kind of took that next step. And it felt like when they had the veteran experience of a championship level guy in Byron Scott coming in to Indiana to kind of be their bench guy, be that guy. I think he even started some games, but he was a guy that really was just like, I've been here before. I know what it takes to to get to that next level. Listen to me. Bruce Brown, yeah, he's still pretty young in his career, but he's made it further than anybody else on this roster has that I can think of, unless somebody randomly won a championship. I don't think Daniel Tice won one, but Daniel Tice has been to the finals. So has Aaron Neesmith, but Bruce Brown won it. So I just feel like those two guys weren't obviously playing significant minutes either, but Brucey B, clearly a guy that's been able to experience a lot of things and playing with Kevin Durant and then playing with Jokic. He knows how it what it takes to play with superstars. Does he rub off on Tyrese Halliburton and, and kind of let him know like, okay, KD would do this. Kyrie would do this. James Harden would do this. Uh, Nicole Jokic would do this. Jamal Murray did that. I mean, I'm just saying like picking his brain on like little things his teammates did that are some great players, even if you don't like the Kyries or the James Hardens of the league, just being able to be around greatness. How does that rub off on Tyrese? And what did he learn from those guys? I think that's great. Uh, I think adding leadership to a goal, we need that from him. Yeah, we really do because there is no James Johnson or George Hill walking through the door. The Pacers need to find new leaders. So I think that he can be one of them because you, you look around, I think there's a lot of guys that you could probably say aren't going to be leaders of this team just due to how young they are, maybe what their role might be. He's 27 years old. He'll have a defined role. He's an NBA champion. Uh, I think that he's in a good spot to um, be sort of a mentor to some of the younger players. And the money that he was given, I think he's going to say, hey, I'll do whatever you need me to do. So Mm. uh, I do have my last goal. Did you get through your three? Yes, I did mine. Mine was running, be the screener more often, continue to thrive on the right side, mm-hmm. and have a better plus uh, rating for the net rating. Now, my last goal, definitely a personal goal of his, that's earn year two of your team option. Uh, Let's be honest. One. Simply put, it is not a guarantee that the Pacers pick up his team option. They have the opportunity to go out and pursue a bigger fish in free agency Plus, his option could very well be picked up by someone else if he is traded. Uh, but it's exactly as it sounds. It's an option. Yeah. And he knew that in that year one of $22.5 million, that that was $7.5 million more than he had made in his NBA career combined. So he knew, hey, even at worst, if it's just one, one year, it, it's a great amount of money and I can hit free agency again. However, if Bruce Brown makes the impact – with the Pacers that they hope for on the defensive end or even takes that next step in his career, there might not be that much to debate. And that $22.5 million team option could very well be picked up 
enabling him to actually be one of the biggest winners in this past free agency class and someone that can hit free agency again just before he turns 30 years old. Yeah, I think the contract is going to be huge because, like you said, it is very tradable. And it does, if he plays really well, like you can throw him in a trade with Buddy Hill, and now you're looking at getting somebody here that could be more of a max-level player instead of what's taken up two role players. And then, once again, you're consolidating, which I think this roster could use a little bit of is some consolidation. Excuse me, can't talk here. Uh, Some consolidation. But I think one of the other things, too, which we don't always talk about, is if he has a great first year, would he be willing to talk with the Pacers? They decline that team option and then restructure a new deal where he's maybe making less per year, but he's locked up for longer. Because I wouldn't be upset if Bruce Brown was on this team for the next five to six years, especially if he plays anything like he did last year or right at it, you know, the same level. I mean, you're going to see guys develop, and if Andrew Nimhart takes that next step and Bruce Brown stays the same, well, then okay, you switch their positions. Maybe Bruce Brown's is starting, or excuse me, Andrew Nimhart's is starting too, and then Bruce Brown's the backup guard on this team. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, but you can never have enough smart, high basketball IQ players on your team. I think that Bruce Brown, if he can really earn the, earn the money that he's you know, got this year and make that something more than just a one-year type of deal, That'd be huge for not only the Pacers, but for Bruce Brown, especially if he can make it a contract extension with this team and get locked up for three to four more years, making somewhere around the 15 to $18 million range per year. I strongly believe if Bruce Brown is on the Pacers in year two of that deal, that means that the Pacers are a good team. So I think, and they would very well be willing to pay the price to be a playoff team and pick up that option if it means that both parties are excelling. So I would love to see everything work out. Obviously, the Pacers love that team option. I think all fans love that team option. I think even Bruce Brown's fine with that team option. But regardless, these are the goals that we had for Aaron Neesmith and Bruce Brown. I think that those are two very key players for the Pacers, especially as it relates on the defensive side of the ball. So, Man, Alex, I am very interesting to, uh, interested to see how many of these goals can they hit on the year. We'll find out. We got about seven or eight for them, so if they can hit two or three, I think we'd call that a, a successful season, Flatchy. But go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on Twitter and Absolutely. social media. Sorry, I guess all social media, not just Twitter. You can find us on Setting the Pace. You can find us on Twitter. At <laughs> oh, we're all the over pace the place. Three. I really you mentioned me off. Sorry. You can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Holden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast where you can find all of our video content. If you have not already, please do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify because that just helps people know that you are loving what you're hearing and want to give a huge shout out to the two of us because we just renewed our contract with the Blue Wire Podcast Network. So we're going to be sticking around and setting the pace for a little bit longer uh, and we're still going to be enjoying doing that with the Blue Wire Podcast Network. But Fachi, if you're biased and you do not care, then hit me with those three words. Let's go pace. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.